Our scripture reading today comes from John chapter 11, verse 43 to chapter 12, verse 11. When he had said these things, he roared in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus says to them, unbind him and let him go. Because of this, many of the Jews who had come with Mary and saw what he did believed into him, but some of them went and told the Pharisees what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we doing? This man is obviously doing a lot of signs. If we let him keep going, everyone will believe into him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place, both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You don't get how it's actually better for you that one man dies for the people instead of national political destruction. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he had prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one community all the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? There is no way he's coming to the feast, is there? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so they could arrest him. Therefore, six days before the Passover, Jesus came into Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Because of this, Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this ointment sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he helped himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so she can keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing into Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's see if we can do this properly. Good. Good morning. I was thinking I wanted to, um, this morning, I, I want to stop and I want to pray. I, I constantly, um, one of, one of the, the great subjects of my life, my, of my analysis, my introspection, is my preaching. And that is a problem because the more, you ever notice that the more you get introspective about something, the harder it is to see it? <laughs> like the more you criticize something, the harder it is to know if it's right. I just want you to know, and I want to, in a sense, draw you into it. I want us to, I want to grow in this area. I want to grow in a way that really, really brings the gospel to San Francisco. So as I'm preaching today, I want you to be thinking about the preaching of the word and, and, and what, what, we can, what I can improve on. Now, uh, I'm not inviting criticism. I know, you, I know you all criticize me anyway. 
Come on, you all, who doesn't criticize the preacher? <laughs> who doesn't criticize the sermon? Come on, a little bit. Roast pastor is usually lunch. Anyway, um, just kidding. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You've heard this. Beauty exists in the eye of the beholder, the person who's looking. Uh, Science has actually studied this. and, And apparently when you look upon a desirable subject, something that you desire and like and find attractive or beautiful, your pupil dilates. It actually opens more because your body naturally and reflexively and instinctively wants to see more of the detail, wants that, wants that aperture inside the iris to open up to let in more light so I can see what I think is beautiful. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I guess, in that, I guess right there I even described it. It is in the eye. In the eye is that action. Don't you think, though, that that is never more true than what God thinks is beautiful. Like, I, I, like if we were going to take the principle, and it may be true for Dylan or me or, or for Linda, we all, we all get it, we see it, that it can be relative. But, 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 but if we were to say, if God were to say, this is what I think, this is what I think is beautiful, wouldn't that, we'd be drawn to that? Like, wow, I, what, does, what, does, what does God think is beautiful. Well, we happen to know Jesus Christ only described one person and one action in his ministry. One time did he say, that, that, what's going on right there? That's beautiful. One time. One time. And we're looking at it today. It's when Mary anointed his, anointed him for burial. He said, that, it's beautiful. Okay. What I want to do is I want to draw us. This, uh, this is my plan of attack. This is a very simple message. Mary's worship is beautiful. <laughs> we should seek Mary's worship. But the problem is we, are, we have counterfeit worship in the church and counterfeit worship in our hearts. We do. We have counterfeit worship. And our counterfeit worship often either really likes to talk about thinking the right things, thinking the right thoughts, or it likes to focus on doing good deeds, doing social justice. One might be, we would call, a counterfeit might be orthodoxy sometimes, and the other counterfeit can be a social gospel, a a church that's motivated to help the poor, for example. All this comes up in this text. All this kind of bubbles up. After we look at the counterfeit, we want to look back at Mary's worship and we'll find that she, she's telling us what the genuine article really looks like in the end. So, so she's instructive to us. Because you know what Jesus said about her? He, he prophesied something. He predicted the future. He predicted it so well it's coming true right now. You know what he said? As long as the gospel is preached in the world, you're going to talk about this girl. Amen. We're talking about this girl right now. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? We're still talking. He's always faithful. He is always true. You can trust the Lord. Um, Oh, look at that. You cannot trust technology. Okay. So what what is happening with Mary? We 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 do learn that it's because of this. Let's 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 enter the situation. Let's enter the scene for a moment. 
Hostility is high. Uh, they're after Jesus. They're after his friends. They want to kill Lazarus. It's a difficult, it's a thorny situation. There's a lot of fear on the horizon. And, and six days before Passover, they don't know it. Jesus knows it, but they don't seem to know it. But Mary, Mary somehow, oh, her instincts are so good. Why? Oh, she has the Holy Spirit, something. She knows what to do, even though she doesn't know why, maybe. But, but right here, look at this. Six days before Passover, Christ's death on the cross is imminent. Okay? Imminent. Right, right about to happen. Just a week away. But you, let's just get in there. So, 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 so they just witnessed their brother four days dead, get out. And in fact, it was such a stunning scene. Get this, it was such a stunning scene. A dead man has walked out of a grave at a verbal command. Christ didn't even touch him. And people are so stunned and so alarmed and so confused and so bewildered and so unbelieving in that moment. He has to tell them to take off the, the grave clothes. Nobody gets up and goes, oh, let me help. Let me help. Nobody does that. Nobody gets up and helps Lazarus. No, why? Well, probably some people were running because they thought they were seeing a zombie. Some people were like, who knows? But in that moment, that's how stunned they are. Her brother just was raised from the dead. And what's she doing at dinner? I love it. All right, so what I want to do is I want to look at Mary's worship. And what's the first thing I notice about it is it's just so freaking humble. It's so humble, it's uncomfortable. We don't like it when people do stuff. This is like keep your humility to yourself sometimes, right? There's a humility that we don't like in a public setting. And that's like a woman down on her knees in front of a man, caressing and washing. Wow. The first thing I get is there's so much humility. There's an attitude of humility. What's the second thing we notice? Oh. Oh, wait a second. There is an action of sacrifice. 300 denarii is a year's wages. This is $50,000 worth of perfume, guys. 50 grand in perfume. 50 grand. Do you think she had that as disposable income? I doubt it. Even the wealthiest. Only the wealthiest of the wealthy can dispose of that without any sacrifice. No. What do we have here? She has humbled herself to the point of embarrassment where everybody feels a little uncomfortable. Everybody feels a little strange. And then what she does, she has sacrificed. She has given of the very best of who she is. The, the attitude of humility, the action of sacrifice, the posture. What's the posture? Surrender. Yeah, it's like, okay, my brother died. She surrendered. She, she is, this is, she is, she is, she is, what's the expression we always use? Uh, uh, Stephanie's always joking about this expression we use in first staff. We're swinging for the fences. <laughs> you see, she's swinging. For, she is, she's putting everything out there. She is surrendered. She has a worship that's humble. She has a worship that's sacrificial. She has a worship that's surrendered. And finally, and this is where it kind of gets weird. It's intimate. I think that's what's like, get a room. <laughs> Judas, in this story, is the one who says, uh, 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 that's not the right thing, but, but if you look at Matthew and Mark, all the disciples nodded. It says the, all the disciples went, you know, this is little. Couldn't you? All the disciples agree with Judas. It says all of them said that in Matthew. But, 
I want her worship. <laughs> All right, I, I can put it in front of you. I want something humble and, and surrendered and sacrificial and intimate. You know, this isn't amazing that in the end, people think they know what Christianity is. They think they know why they rejected Christianity as teachings, but in the end, they never guessed that in the end, it meant you and God are one. <laughs> Intimacy with, you will know him, he knows you. Intimacy, you see. Intimate knowledge. That's the worship I want. That's the worship we need. That's the worship Christ, God is seeking. What is he He's seeking worshipers who worship in what? Spirit and truth. And this is it. We're getting it on display. And Christ names it, even. Just so you won't miss it. <gasps> I imagine he even took a breath. That's so beautiful. You know, someday, Adele, Jesus is going to say that about your worship. <laughs> and I can already see it. <laughs> I just, oh, oh, I can't wait. But what does this genuine article arouse? The counterfeit. What is the counterfeit? The counterfeit exists in two different kind of dimensions here in the story. And the first counterfeit is the one that terrifies me the most. It is the counterfeit of right teaching. Caiaphas in the story is one of the most pitiful characters in all of the Bible. So is Judas. We don't know what happened to Caiaphas, but we know what happens to Judas. Why is Caiaphas such a desperate individual? Why is he so frightening? Why is he so afraid? When he met with the Sanhedrin, he told them, don't be alarmed anymore by Jesus. Why? Because he had what? Prophesied. What does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit had gone into him and he had spoken words of truth, whether he had any power over it or not. By the way, certain people in the Bible who did not know God do prophesy. Saul prophesies. Balaam prophesied. You can prophesy and not know God, because God can just take you and just make you say what he wants you to say, right? He can just kind of take you by the head and go, boop. This is, you know, take Eric, I'm going to make Eric my voice, or take Chris, make Chris my voice, whatever, right? And that's kind of what's happening here. But what gets me, and what comes in so, is so tight, is Caiaphas's word. Listen, one man dies for the people. I wait to hear that in a membership interview. I want to hear that kind of orthodoxy. What else? He had prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, die for the people. And the, what? To gather one community, all the children of God. Caiaphas's confession is so crystal clear. He's one of the most clear explanations of the substitutionary nature of Jesus in the whole Bible. Right out of a man. What's his conclusion? After he hears all that orthodoxy about Jesus, what does he say? Time to kill him. Time to kill him. How do you get, how do you get, how do you have truth? How do you have gospel, orthodox, biblical, solid, foundational truth, but completely miss the mic? It can happen to you, it can happen to me. This stuff scares the crap out of me, guys. I just... Caiaphas is there for that express reason. So you would go, knowing all the right words and all the right truths is not a guarantee that you know God. You can know your Bible from the beginning. It's not a guarantee you know God. What's the second mistake? Oh, it should be about loving the poor. There's another example. It should be about us being mobilized 
for community and love and support for each other. We should be here for loving one another. In fact, what's the purpose of the church but to bring God's love into the world for all the poor and broken people, for all the, do you hear it? Do you hear it? Because Judas is actually talking like this generation, isn't he? Because what's the second counterfeit? Oh, it's all about love. It's all about love. Oh, come on, you shouldn't have done that. Uh, it's funny, uh, the, the, uh, I, this second one, uh, the, the social justice, is one of the most powerful instincts of the spiritual heart. Why does it create such a powerfully counterfeit church sometimes? Why does orthodoxy create such a counterfeit? I don't really know why, but Jesus did, pre- did prepare us for it, didn't he? He said, beware of false prophets who come into you in sheep's clothing. He, Jesus prepared you for this. Jesus said, look. There's a counterfeit coming. Don't be surprised. There's a counterfeit coming, guys. What's the counterfeit? They're people who say, Lord, Lord. They're orthodoxy. They do mighty works. Did we not prophesy? That means they have the truth. Do we not mighty works? They did good deeds and great deeds. And Christ knows that there is in religion a constant danger of falling for the counterfeit and believing your counterfeit and trusting the counterfeit. Now, what, am I te- what is this partly teaching us? Right at the gate. I, I want this on your map. You need to have a map of Christianity because you're going to walk into church this Sunday. Someday you're going to be in a church somewhere and you're going to go, well, that really doesn't sound anything like Chris at all. Or like, or somebody else or Tim Keller, whatever, whoever you take, pick your pastor, whoever you like to pray. You go, that doesn't sound, and you should listen to those instincts. Yes, there are false teachers everywhere. It's always present and always common, but just as likely there are false workers who look and do and sacrifice so much, but something's missing. Something doesn't activate. Something doesn't germinate. Something doesn't work. And you can't even feel like, why? Um, I would say the first church, the Orthodox Church, the Reformed Church is caught pot. And the Presbyterian Church has to worry about this so much because it's been given so much truth. But what can it do with that truth? Trust the truth, not truth itself right? We're going to trust our doctrinal statements and not trust the Lord. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. All right, what's the other version? Well, Chris, why don't, you know, theology's fun, but I don't really care about that. I'm about doing the good deeds. I'm going to get out there and really help people and really be there for folks. Praise God. But another, another counterfeit comes up. Now, you know, we're, we're approaching the cross in John, right? We're approaching the cross. Now, the cross is the epicenter of all of cosmic history. You think the universe is 14 billion years old? Fine. All those 14 billion years that science has established lead up to the cross. Trust me. He is the God. He is the creator God come to die for his p- Nothing's bigger than this. So what happens is counterfeits get. The, the counterfeit becomes uh, more vivid right around, right around the event. Is that, you see what I'm saying? Like the event itself provokes the counterfeits. And these counterfeits are so close to the genuine article. They're so close. You could almost think they were the real thing. But they're not. But they're not. Um, but what am I... How you, I hope you'll, somebody said they missed me sketching. Well, you're in luck today. Let's see if Christopher can do this. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Oh, I have an eraser on. So, this is what... So we have Mary's... Mary's worship. And what do we observe? It is humble. It is sacrificial. It is, 
surrendered, and what, does anybody remember the last one? And it is intimate, right? And this is the characteristic of her worship. This is the worship that is what? That is beautiful. That is, I know, isn't it awful? You should see my notebooks. All right, so. But it, to the left and to the right of it, to left and right, you could say it that way. I'm going to put this on the right just to confuse us. You have social justice over here. I'm putting that to the right so we can mess with our categories. And over here you have uh, orthodoxy. Isn't that right? Left and right, yeah. Social justice and orthodoxy. Okay, so these are, this is, these are the right words, and this is the right actions. Right? Is God interested in right words or right actions? Yes. But we see what happens is that if you opt for any, either one of these, apart from true worship, what are you left with? Counterfeit. And the, the terrible thing about counterfeit is a good counterfeit looks almost exactly like the original. But what, what do we actually instead have? We ought to have right words leading to worship and a worship that creates what? Right action. <laughs> that gets exciting. Okay, so that's what we really want. Look at the scriptures. Do they tell us to do the work of justice? Of course they do. You know, Judas comes from a long line of good prophetic utterance. Look, let justice roll down like waters. Has he not told you a man what is good? What does the I am require of you? Do justice. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? Because I am has anointed me to what? Bring good news to the poor. Religion is pure that what? that cares for widows and orphans. Amen. Judas had a good biblical argument, but let me assure you, that biblical argument that's not created by love of Jesus is empty. See, all this call of justice doesn't make any sense unless justice has first been crowned and in a sense captured in the death of Jesus at the cross. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense at all. What about... What about uh, Oh, the orthodoxy. Yeah, I was going to, nah, I'm not going to do that. Well, just, let me show you how orthodox Caiaphas is. What did he say? He prophesied God would help all the people. Look at, look at how much Isaiah says this. Many people shall come. Isaiah 42, here are the light of the nations. Isaiah 43, 5, from the east and from the west, I will gather you. That's you guys. Us. Turn to me and to be saved. All the ends of the earth. That's us. As far as Palestine is concerned, San Francisco is the ends of the earth. A light for the nations and my house will be called what? A house of prayer for how many people? All nations. Caiaphas is describing the splendor of the Great Commission and all the love of God. And he only sees it as a warrant to kill somebody. If you don't know how religious people could be like this, let me take you to a Presbyterian meeting sometime. That was kind of, that wasn't really fair. But, <laughs> but, This is not merely what churches have to know. I think this is actually an instinct that we all have. We have counterfeit instincts that we need to be on the watch for. You see, we can poke holes at other churches. Oh, look at that church. They, they're dead orthodox. Look at that church. They're just social action. We can, and we probably, you could probably name in this city right now churches that might typify one or the other. Don't bother with that. I'm warning you that this is a real thing in the world, but I'm more concerned about us walking out of here with repentance hearts ourselves. I want Mary's worship. <laughs> 
And I want that worship to inform, well, be informed by what we think and to inform how we act. You see? Now, what I get excited about right at this juncture is, oh, what about the instinct in our own hearts? Because you know what? It's there for you all the time. Let me give you an example. Uh, I remember being young and angry and reformed. Has anybody ever been young and angry? I was young and angry and reformed. My, my catechetical uh, ability, my lightning fast wit and rapier good looks. I got that mixed up, didn't I? I don't have any of those things, but I'll tell you what I like to do. I like to beat people over the head with how much I knew. I did. I like to win an argument so I can win an argument for Jesus. I didn't care. I didn't care about the person. I couldn't figure out why nobody wanted to come to Christ. I couldn't figure out why nobody was coming a Christian through my little ministry in my 20s where I was out there telling everybody how wrong they were. It takes a lot to get through here. Sorry, it takes a lot, a lot to get through this skull, right? <laughs> Young and angry and reformed. I was a sacred truth warrior. And my condemnation was just. Let's not make that mistake. We, we haven't received truth so that we, we have received truth so that we can worship. <laughs> and if we have truth and we don't have worship, then the disconnect is full and we're, we're in the same boat as Caiaphas. We, you know, many of you say, hey, look, if you have a mechanical news, I know Jesus died for my sins and I know that he was, amen. Amen. Does it result in worship? <laughs> amen. But does it result in worship? Okay, but then I've also done the other thing. I did the other thing more recently. See how, how conceited our hearts are, or at least how conceited my heart is. Now, I'm ashamed of this. Peter and I have been aroused in a time of prayer, just, just in our hearts to pray for people. Corey's been there. I've been praying for people anonymously. Just praying, hey, Father, we pray that man walking down the street that he would have eternal life. Just doing it. Why not? And I, we were talking with this kind of this little joy. Wouldn't it be fun? If somebody walk up to you on a, uh, you know, on a sunny morning in heaven and go, you know, I want to say thank you because you prayed for me. <laughs> That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? What a wonderful story, right? So I'm sitting there, I'm praying, I'm praying, and it suddenly hurts, hurts to me. Why aren't more people becoming Christians, Father? I'm sitting there, I'm getting my heart mauling. And then all of a sudden this thought comes. Man, you know, you're not as loving as I am about these people. I didn't, even, I didn't even think what I was saying. I'm like, why aren't you as loving as I am? Do you hear that's what Judas is saying to Jesus? Why aren't you as loving as I am, Jesus? <laughs> why aren't you as loving as I am? <sighs> no, 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 no. And by the way, some people have used the poor you always have with you as a way of getting out of doing work for the poor. Anybody who does that deserves their own condemnation because Christ says, you have me here with you. That's why you don't do that. And when he's not here, what are we supposed to be doing? Caring for the poor. It just I don't understand. If anybody who uses these texts as a way to get away from loving people or getting away. You see, what am I describing when people use those texts that way? I'm using the same thing Caiaphas did, right? People are all, we're always ready to use spiritual truth as a way to either defend ourselves or accuse somebody else. It's in our guts. Let us all repent. And let us always repent of thinking we are, we are more loving than God is. No, you're not. That's a lie. No, in fact, what we are is, and what we're supposed to be, you know, I, I made this joke, and some of the people, not joke even, I made this, I, I grew up homeless and poor, you know, and I, I always say, I don't like poor people. I don't like ministry to poor people. It's, it usually smells bad, and they're not a lot of fun to hug, and they need a lot of stuff. 
Do you hear the sarcasm in my heart there? Do you hear it? Praise God if we were given the privilege of serving them. <laughs> I mean serving them as servants. Praise him. You see, it's just a complete flip, isn't it? The gospel always creates something new and wonderful and what? Beautiful. <laughs> it's just... You know, I, I make the joke, I don't know if you ever heard me make this joke, but I had really, really pronounced uh, overbite when I was young. I hated it. We get teased about it. I would try, to, try so hard to war- hold my jaw a certain way so I wouldn't look a certain way and hold my, so I wouldn't, it wouldn't be obvious. I remember somebody would say, hey, must be fun eating an apple through a picket fence. I, was, I hated that comment. All right, uh, I want it to be beautiful. Don't you want to be? I mean, there's a part of this wants to. We don't want to be ugly. Oh, man, do, do, do we have a wonderful Savior or what? He, you are beautiful to him. And he's going to make you even more beautiful. Thank heaven. More, especially looking at this crowd. More beautiful than you are now. I say that with love. I, I Praise him. This is the work of the gospel. He makes sinners, defiled sinners, beautiful. Ah, praise him. Let's pray. Father, Father, I praise you for your love. I praise you that Caiaphas knew, Caiaphas could prophesy. I don't know if he's in, maybe, maybe you loved him into heaven. I don't know. You've loved men like that before. I don't know. Father, give us a love for good theology. (laughs) Seriously. But let it create love too. (laughs) And give us a love for the poor and for those who need and those who, who are hungry. Let that love that Mary had shine in us Pour it out on us. Yes, Father. Come and do this work. And maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe, uh, maybe all these prophecies from Isaiah, maybe we'll see every one of them come true here in San Francisco again and again. Why? Because you're a God of love who sent his son to die for sinners. We praise you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. Oh, how we praise you for rising from the dead. How we praise you that faith saves and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen.